Good morning, church. Uh, hope you guys are doing good. Just real quick, how many of you are excited that today is Easter? How many of you just raised your hand even though I can't see you, right? I just got Susan at home. Um, I know she raised her hand. And so I'm glad to be with you this morning. Um, as a church, as Christians, we have so much to still be excited about uh, on Easter, but every day. Um, our hope is not in the fact that church buildings are empty. Our hope is in the fact that the tomb is empty and, and that Jesus has risen, Jesus is alive. And we're gonna talk about that today. Surprise, surprise, we're gonna talk about the resurrection uh, today on Easter Sunday. And so if you have your Bible with you, you can turn there to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, we're gonna be there. We'll flip over to Romans chapter eight towards the end, uh, most likely. And so... Um, we'll get going with this. Before we jump into the message, um, I want to uh, kind of set up 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for you. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth, um, and it was largely written to correct things that were going on in the Corinthian church. Um, there was a lot of false teaching going on. There was a lot of uh, uh, incorrect behavior, even unethical behavior going on. A lot of what he wrote was to correct things that were going on. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's dealing with several things. One of those things he's dealing with are some false teachers who've come in to the church and are beginning to, to teach basically bad theology. And along with this bad theology, they're beginning to turn uh, the people in the church against Paul. So some people have come in and begun to turn all the people against Paul. So in this, Paul sees this threat to the gospel, um, the gospel truth. He also sees a threat to his leadership or his apostleship in that church um, and in the church in general. And so these people are spreading this bad theology. They're turning um, the other people in the church against Paul um, and he's combating some very serious things in this. One of those things is that um, they were really teaching what was a common belief in those days, that material things were bad, that the goal was to, to rid yourself of everything physical and material and to kind of escape into a spiritual world um, and the spiritual realm. Um, and so the goal for them in many ways was to get rid of the body uh, and so Paul is dealing with them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the essential nature of the resurrection of Jesus in bodily form, not just that he was resurrected spiritually or as a spirit or whatever, but he was resurrected in bodily form as a person, as a human, as a body. Um, they also thought in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, or in that Corinthian church, Paul's dealing with this in 1 Corinthians 15, that these people had felt like they had already arrived. They had um, achieved some type of even angelic or super spiritual nature, um, and they'd kind of already arrived at their goal. And, and they saw Paul as somewhat less spiritual, and so he's writing to them to tell them, listen, um, our, our true hope is still in the future. We have not yet arrived but our hope is sure and it's in Christ. And he deals with them on how they're denying the resurrection of Jesus as uh, in bodily form. And, and he's telling them, listen, if Jesus didn't rise in his body, if his body was not raised, 
then no one is going to be raised. And if Jesus was not raised, he's even going to tell them that our faith is futile. And we're going to look at this and see why is it necessary for Jesus to have been raised in bodily form? Why is this so important? Um, when we look at the, uh, the Bible and we go through the book of Acts, which is sort of um, the, the history of the church and what the Holy Spirit did through the church and how he worked through the church, we see that through the preaching, we see through the letters that have been written that the resurrection of Jesus um, in bodily form was a huge central core part of the gospel message that was preached. So what I wanna do, I wanna pray for us and then um, I want us to get into the message. I wanna walk through some of 1 Corinthians 15 and then as we get towards the end of the section we're gonna cover, which is 15, one through 28, um, I wanna begin to break down some, some more specific thoughts in this, but I want you just to see how this is set up how this is laid out, and then we're gonna look at how this really pertains to our faith today. I want you to see how this is rooted in the history of, of, of all of creation. This isn't something, again, that's just sort of dangling out in space, but this goes all the way back to the original creation and God restoring all that was broken by sin. And so um, I hope this will be a real encouragement to your faith um, I hope if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can see why it's essential that we celebrate the resurrection. Um, and if we can see how the resurrection even ties into God's original purpose for creation, and we see how all of that flows together, it becomes such an encouragement towards our faith. And so um, I'm hoping that that will happen for you as it did for me as I was preparing this. So let's pray together and then we're gonna um, jump in. Father, thank you for uh, just your grace to us, God, that you are good, Lord. We thank you, Father, that um, our hope doesn't hinge on uh, whether we can gather in a building. It doesn't hinge on what's going on in the world around us. Our hope hinges on the resurrection of Jesus, um, God. We thank you that he is alive. We thank you, God, um, that he is risen that he has ascended. We thank you that he did what he promised and sent us uh, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit to dwell with us and in us, God, to empower us. And God, I pray right now that the Holy Spirit, that he would open our eyes to see more clearly who you are, that he would stir our hearts to greater hope, God, that, that we would be lifted in our spirits this morning um, and our eyes would be lifted up to recognize and see you, God, more clearly that we would um, not be so burdened by the things of this world, but that we would set our minds on the things above, the things of heaven, knowing that our true home and our true hope awaits us. God, we thank you for that. We cling to you, God. We hold on to you. We hold on by faith, Lord, trusting you in this time and in this day and every day, God. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so I want to start out this morning just by making a statement. And this is what I want you to see. The first thing I want you to see, and, and I really want us to look at, is that the, the, the cross is incomplete without the resurrection. Uh, before you start sending hate mail, I want you to understand this statement is not to lessen the cross. It's not to um, 
minimize the cross or diminish the importance of the cross. This, this statement is intended to elevate the resurrection. So many times in our Christian walks, what ends up happening, we talk a lot about the cross. We wear necklaces with the cross and, and we should. What Jesus did for us on the cross, um, we could never really fathom, would never really wrap our minds around it on this side of eternity. And yet, when we think about the resurrection sometimes, even though we celebrate it on Easter Sunday, um, oftentimes we don't think about it or um, maybe hold it in as high esteem as we do the cross. But without the resurrection, the cross is incomplete. I wanna also say this, that without um, the resurrection, the resurrection is incomplete without the cross. And so the, the opposite, the cross is incomplete without the resurrection. Um, the resurrection is incomplete without the cross. Think about it this way. If um, Jesus died on the cross, but he was never raised, then death has not been overcome, right? Uh, but if uh, just any person was raised from the dead and there was a resurrection, but there wasn't a cross that paid for our sin, then our sin's not been overcome. So it took both. It took the cross, it took the resurrection for our salvation and what we're gonna see, our restoration and our redemption to be complete and to be whole. And so I want you to think about this like two pedals on a bicycle. Um, our, the cross and the resurrection, they work together to complete our salvation. They work together to complete what God is doing and, and not just our salvation, but God's his, his whole creation story that he began writing in Genesis 1 and that he'll conclude uh, at the return of Christ and as we live with him forever and eternity. And so I want you to see that this morning and this. And so let's go and let's begin uh, to look at 1 Corinthians 15 um, and, and let's talk through this. Um, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Now think about why he wrote this. He's dealing with false teaching that has told them there is no need for a bodily resurrection, that they have attained some super spiritual nature, that they have arrived. What Paul is doing, and we're gonna see this through really the first 11 verses, is he is reminding them of the gospel that they believed. He's reminding them that in, in the gospel they believed is, is their whole identity as Christians. And he's gonna remind them of what was in the gospel. If we keep reading there in verse three, he says, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who's also, who's Peter, and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that's the brother of Jesus, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally 
born. And so what's he doing here? He's telling them and reminding them of the gospel that they put their trust in. He's saying, this is the gospel that you've taken your stand on. This is the gospel that is the source of your salvation. This is the gospel that is the source of you receiving the Holy Spirit when you believe. He's saying your entire Christian life and existence rests on the truth of the gospel that I preach to you. He says, hold on to this unless if you don't hold on to it, then you believed in vain. He's saying this is the truth that you were born again through. Hold on to it. Don't go away from it. He's saying this is the common ground that you've believed, that I believed, and that all the churches believe. Hold on to this gospel. He says in verse nine, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believe. And so he's saying, this is the message that we declared. He tells them, listen, Christ appeared to me lastly as one that is abnormally born. Um, what he's saying there is it was sort of out of order. It was sort of in a, 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 an abnormal way that he was born um, into uh, Christ, that he came to know Christ. It wasn't like the others who he visited. It was a later time um, that he came to know who Jesus is. And he says, I know that I'm the least of the apostles. He, he said, I don't even deserve to be an apostle because I persecuted the church. But God gave this grace to Paul. And Paul says, this grace was not without effect. See, in this part, this is dealing with another part of what I told you he wrote this for, is he's dealing with his own leadership and apostleship. Because if they deny his leadership and they deny his apostleship, then what ends up happening is they can deny the gospel that he preached. It's not Paul wanting to preserve his position. It's Paul knowing that if, if they diminish the apostleship that Jesus has given me, then they will diminish the gospel that I've proclaimed to them. And, and Paul spent his whole life preserving the truth of the gospel. And here's one of the crazy and encouraging and awesome things about it is we can hold the truth of the gospel in our hands because people like Paul gave their life to preserve it. And so we see Paul is establishing again with them this common ground. He's saying, listen, this is what we all have believed. Don't walk away from this. And at the core and the center of this, we're about to see is the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He says in verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? He's saying, listen, if this is what you believed, how can you now turn around and say there's no resurrection of the dead, that you will not be raised one day? They're denying this bodily, again, remember, the goal was let's escape this bodily existence, this material existence, and, and let's, let's um, go ahead now and we'll be in this angelic, this super spiritual state that we've already arrived in. He said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. He's saying, listen, our faith rests on the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. If, if he is not raised, if there is no resurrection 
of the dead for you. If there's no resurrection of the dead for me, it means that Jesus himself has not even been raised. And he's saying, and this is what we have preached. This is what you have believed. If, if this isn't true, as you say, if your position in this is correct, then here's the issue with that. Our faith is futile. Our preaching is futile. He says, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. He's saying, if, if what you're saying is true, then, then we have basically um, been telling a lie the whole time. We have given false witness about God. The, the message we preached is not true. It says, but he, did, um, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. See, as the cross is where Jesus took the punishment for sin, the resurrection is where we see the victory over sin, where we see the victory over death. And he's saying, if he wasn't raised, you're still in your sin then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. He's saying all these that have died in Christ, look, they're lost because this is the gospel they believed. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's saying, if what we've preached to you isn't true, if there's nothing more after this life, if, if the gospel we're proclaiming to you doesn't include the resurrection of the dead, if our hope is right now just for life here on this earth, he's saying then our faith is, is, not, is not real, it's, it's not um, effective, it's not true. He's saying, listen, if this is not the real gospel that we've proclaimed to you, then we're to be most pitied because we put our hope in something that doesn't last. And so listen to this, and this is where I wanna kinda of pick up with some specific things for you to walk away with. He said, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. So he's been working off of this like hypothetical what if question of if Christ isn't raised. But then he goes, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What's he saying? He's saying Jesus was raised from the dead. And it's not just for Jesus. He's saying he's the first of many who will be raised from the dead. He says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For it is as in Christ all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And I want to stop right there and I want to share something, a little bit more specific points with you um, through the rest of this. Um, one of those things is that uh, we look at this and, and we see that Paul is telling us this good news. He's saying, look, if this were so, if Christ was not raised, then, then we'd be in big trouble. And he says, but Jesus has been raised. The other night when we had the prayer and worship time, um, as I was leaving, I was walking towards uh, the doors here to my left. I know you can't see what I'm talking about, but it's the, the doors going out to the front parking lot out towards Kiwana. Um, and, and I looked up and I saw this sign and it said, the best is yet to come. And I took a picture of it. I put it on Instagram. Um, and, and I just was thinking about how true that is, that I still believe in my heart that the best is yet to come. But I believe that because Jesus has indeed risen. 
Jesus is alive and in bodily form, he was risen. And so I know that no matter what happens when I walk out of those doors, no matter what happens or doesn't happen inside these doors, that my hope is still alive. My hope is still real because it doesn't hinge on those things. The best is yet to come because Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who will be raised. But all of this still, it hinges on the bodily resurrection. I want you to, to, to think about this. Why is this bodily resurrection essential? And here's where we're gonna start talking about this a little more in depth. Uh, the, the bodily resurrection is essential because number one, it completes our redemption. It completes our redemption. I wanna give you a little bit better understanding of what redemption is and a very broad sense, redemption is a payment made for someone's release or liberation. A payment made for someone's release or liberation. Um, redemption from, in the Christian sense is Jesus's payment for our release or liberation from sin and death, okay? Um, so as we think about redemption and being redeemed in the Christian sense, we're thinking about Jesus's payment, what he did on the cross for us, for our release, liberation from sin and death. So it's the cross, but it's also the resurrection that we see that death has been overcome. And so this first point I want you to see is this, that it completes our redemption. Jesus made a payment through his own life for our release from sin. He made a payment with his own life to save us from the curse of sin, which is death. Paul in these passages makes a comparison or, or kind of talks through um, how all died in Adam, but in how all in Christ will, will live. And when he says all in Christ, he clarifies this down a little further in verse 23, that all of those who belong to him. So not like um, the whole, all everybody in the universe, but those who belong to him, it says in Christ, all will be made alive. He's referring to the resurrection, a bodily resurrection. And we see that this is completing um, what God uh, is doing in the restoration, the redemption of all creation. And, and I want you to see this, that what Adam did in the garden is not greater than what Jesus did on the cross and what God did through the resurrection. So if in Adam we all died, to restore and redeem completely, it means that we would all live. Now, how did Adam live? He lived spiritually, but he also lived physically. And so what God is doing through the resurrection is he's restoring us both spiritually and physically. And so this is a completion of our redemption, a completion of the restoration that was lost because of sin, because God is not going to allow what Adam did in the garden to be greater than what Jesus did on the cross and what God did through the resurrection. I want you to see in this the fullness of God's love, that he didn't stop short of any of this, but he's redeeming fully, holy. He's restoring fully, holy. The, the gospel will make everything that was wrong right. And we see this. It's not just some spiritual resurrection that would fall short of full redemption. We weren't just liberated from sin so that our spirits could go live in the clouds. 
We were liberated from sin and therefore the curse of death so that we could live as we were intended to live in the beginning. So we see that there is this spiritual and physical resurrection that God promises. If you look and you keep on reading, Paul says then, but each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, he's saying Christ went first. He's been raised. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. So we too will be raised just as Christ was raised. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so when we look at this, I want you to see that the second thing that we see in this is that the bodily resurrection of Christ it, it is the death of death. It is um, showing us that death has been, is, and will be overthrown. It's showing us that if the curse of sin is death and Jesus overcame the curse and God raised him from the, from the dead, then we know this, that the curse has been um, taken away. And so now we're able to have both spiritual and physical life once again. We know in this, it says that Jesus will rule. Jesus rules right now, but we also know that the enemy is still very real because people are still dying. When we look at this, what we can see though is that there will come a day when the last enemy is destroyed and he says that last enemy is death. And so the resurrection of the dead beginning with Jesus is evidence that the last enemy death has been overthrown. Death no longer has hold of our lives. Now take what we've just read to verse 26 and we'll finish that out with 27 and 28 here. It says, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. I want you to look at those, that last three words, all in all. And so what he's saying is that when this last enemy death has been overcome, then Jesus will hand it all over to the father. And the father will once again, God will once again be all in all. God will be all in all. And what does that mean? It means that God's sovereign rule and reign in every way throughout the earth, throughout the universe is reestablished according to his purposes in the beginning. And so when we look at this again, as God will be all in all, all things restored, all things redeemed, all things put back the way God intended, then we see this, that the bodily resurrection of Christ and our future bodily resurrection will enable us to fulfill our purpose in creation. It will enable us to fulfill our purpose in creation. I, I told you a minute ago, it's not so we can just exist for eternity as a spirit and float around in the clouds. We still have a purpose. God had a very clear intended purpose for us. We've talked about this a lot as a church. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter one and creation. And it shows us that, that we have a very clear purpose 
and that we were created to fill the earth, rule over it in a way that God would be glorified and fill the earth with praises to God. And so this is really God continuing his purpose. God's purpose will not be stopped. And so we see that in the bodily resurrection of Christ, who is the first fruits, and then in our bodily resurrection, it will enable us to finally do what we were created to do, but that that ability which was taken away by sin, taken away by death, what we see now is that it has been overcome, and we now have again and will have the ability to do what God created us to do. Basically, the Corinthians here are missing the bigger picture. Listen to this. They're missing the bigger picture They think this is just about their spiritual life. When this is much bigger, it is about God's eternal plan. It's about God's purpose in creation. This is so much bigger. Paul writing this, he's not just concerned even with the death of individuals. He's concerned with death as the last enemy of God and he's concerned with God's purpose in the world. It's bigger So the work of Jesus on the cross, the the resurrection that God has done in Christ, it's key to everything. It doesn't, again, just kind of exist out here in its own thing. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. And through the bodily resurrection of believers, God's purpose will, again, it will be fulfilled. God is sovereignly working all of this out so that in the end, his purpose will be fulfilled. So we see this, that the resurrection of believers is the ultimate death of death. It removes this constraint from us, the the constraint of sin. We've been liberated from it. And all of God's enemies, the last enemy of which will be death, it will be dealt with. The last one, and as we we look at this as a whole again, and God as all in all, Jesus undoing what Adam did fully, completely, wholly, as we look at the last enemy, death, being destroyed, as we look at us having the ability and ultimately fulfilling the purpose for what man was created to fulfill the last thing. And this this is really, it's encouraging to see this, especially, listen, in the world we live in right now with what's going on with this coronavirus, COVID-19, all of this stuff, this last one should be so encouraging to us as Christians and as believers. And that is this, that it is a restoration. It restores God's purpose for creation. God as all in all, he's not just redeeming individuals. He's not just restoring individuals. He's not just um, doing something for people so we can get to heaven. God is going to restore all that was broken. He will be all in all, in all of creation, in all of the universe, in everything. He will be all in all and it will be restored back to the way God intended. There will be no sickness. There will be no disease. There will be no hate. There'll be no murder. There'll be none of these things taking place because it will be restored back to what God intended it to be. I want to go now kind of quickly to Romans chapter eight, because I think Paul, the same Paul that wrote Corinthians, wrote this passage in Romans chapter eight. And I think it puts it so perfectly and even beautifully for 
us to see today in the time that we live with all of this stuff going on around the world. He says in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. There's that word liberated. Well, we talk about redemption being, it's a payment made to liberate someone or something. He says, so that itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What's he saying? He's saying even creation was affected. Even creation now decays. Even creation was marred. It's it's not what it was intended to be. He says, but when the children of God are revealed, when the resurrection, when Jesus returns and all is restored, even creation will be restored with it. God's redemption It it is all encompassing. It's complete, it's full through the cross and the resurrection. It's a promise that we have that all things will be restored. He goes on and he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who had the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. And so he's saying creation is groaning. Creation is longing along with the children of God, those who belong to him for the revealing of the son of man that that upon Jesus establishing and, and defeating the last enemy death, all that was wrong will be made right that once and finally and for all, Jesus will have made right what was wrong in Adam, a complete, full restoration. It includes a resurrected whole being, a resurrected entire creation. God will reestablish what's been broken. I go back to Romans eight eighteen and I know for many of us, this virus and things that's going on, it, it's been more of an inconvenience than it has devastating. But we still hurt for the people who are being devastated. We know people in our community who've been affected by this. And in some ways, we, we look and some of us, our lives, you know, um, they've, been, they've been inconvenienced, it's been changed but there's so many people hurting around the world. And here's the thing, there were so many people hurting before this virus ever came on the scene. I wanna encourage us in this today that the best is yet to come and the best is yet to come because Jesus is alive. He's not just alive in the spirit, He's alive in body. And he is the first fruits of what's to come for us. Our our redemption will be complete. Our redemption will be whole. What creation is longing for will take place. And our hope will be fulfilled if we're hoping in what God has promised.
And so I want to encourage you with that today. This is the hope we have in the resurrection, not that one day we'll just get to heaven, but that all things will be made right. You know, go and read the end of the book of Revelation. It's what the Apostle John wrote about there. All things restored, all things made right, all things reconciled back to God. God's perfect plan and perfect will will be accomplished. So I want to encourage you with that. If you uh, are a believer, a follower of Jesus, and stand firm in the faith, in, in this truth, if you're not a believer, you've never given your life to Christ, but you know, I, I need Jesus in my life. I want to be reconciled to God, my sin paid for. I want to accept that payment, that redemption that Jesus offers. Then call on him today, cry out to him today. Say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship with the Father. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to live my life for you. I want to follow you. If you do that today, we want you to let somebody know. Normally, we would do that within, uh, after the end of the service, if everybody was here. But it's really important that if you make that decision, you let somebody know. You can do that um, by talking to someone you know who is a believer. We'd love for you to let us know about that decision so we can help you walk that out. You can email us through the church. You can go to connection.church backslash salvation, and it'll take you to a link where you can give us some information. We will follow up with you to help you walk out this new journey of life, the newness of life we have now in Christ because he lives and the promise of the resurrection that we have because he lives. So I want to pray for us all. Um, and I pray that you'll be encouraged today, that not just on Easter, but every day you'll celebrate the resurrection, the fact that Jesus is indeed alive. Father, we thank you for this time. God, thank you for your truth, that in chaos, God, your word anchors us. We know that Jesus taught us to dig deeply into your word, Lord, to do what it says, and that God, it's like a man who built his house on rock. The wind and the, the rain came, but it stood. And God, I know that for many, many, many people, the wind and the rain has come. And God, I, I pray that we would anchor ourselves deeply in your truth and hold on. That we would hold on to the gospel as it's been passed down to us by, from people like Paul who gave his life to preserve it that we would stand on that truth because we know, God, when our faith is in that truth, we don't believe in vain. We don't hope in vain. Our hope is sure. So God, we thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of your spirit who is in us. I pray, God, I pray that he's been stirred up in us this morning and that we, God, would just seek and knock and ask, God, for your spirit more and more. Lord, we pray for this world that you would, even now, Lord, begin to heal the world. Begin, Lord, to more and more and more set your plan of redemption 
in place. God, that many, many people would come to know you and that, God, even now, you would be praised in all the earth. We love you, Lord. Thank you, God, for your perfect plan for the gospel that's reconciled us to you and made us new in all of the promises you've given us for the future. In Jesus' name, amen.